Welcome back to Franklin Covey's weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. That's me. I am privileged and honored each week to be your host and interviewer, where we actually have now nearly 270 interviews taped with about 240 released. We're honored each week truly to interview some of the best minds in the industry, and it's those podcast guests that also form the basis for my new book series from HarperCollins called Master Mentors. Volume 1 and Volume 2 are released, where each year I write a fairly easy, breezy read where I highlight 30 guests from the previous year's podcast and share a single transformational insight from each of them with their permission of my own narrative. Would love to have you pick up a copy of Master Mentors, both in print, digital, audio, and video on Lit Video Books. Master Mentors Volume 3 with 30 new guests coming out in the fall of 2023 on my way to 10 books in that series. Today's guest you're going to find very endearing. His name is Tom Dieri, and he's the author of the new book, The Power of Potential. This book is going to tug at your heartstrings, but also it's very practical on how you can build a better culture inside your organization from making some challenges to some traditional assumptions. His tagline, in fact, is how a non-traditional workforce can lead you to run your business better. Joining us from Southern Florida, Tom, welcome to On Leadership. Thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. Tom, you and I share the same publisher, HarperCollins Leadership. We share the same editor in Tim Bugard. And it was from his recommendation that we plucked your book out of the many books being released this year. Decided to feature you on this program because I think your message is not just aspirational, but it's actually very attainable for some also because you come at this book about how to build a diverse workforce that actually can challenge the challenges the conventional wisdom of what it means to actually be in business and, and hire and promote and engage people. You are, in fact, the founder and COO of Rising Tide Car Wash in Florida. And we don't typically bring entrepreneurs on the program. And people might wonder, well, what does owning a car wash have to do with a leadership podcast? But soon they will be informed. Will you talk a bit about your journey to co-found this car wash and what its mission is. Yeah. So my family founded Rising Tide Car Wash with the mission of employing people with autism for 80% of our staff. And we did that because my brother Andrew has autism and we knew that we had to step up in order to help him lead the full adult life that we knew he was capable of. And along the way, uh, this goal of 80% employing people with autism, it produced a, a really unique challenge for us to innovate through and forced us to really evaluate every aspect of how we operate our business. Because the way that we look at uh, team members with autism and neurodivergent ta talent in general is that these are extreme users of organizational systems. They have the same needs as everyone else, but they're just more apparent. And so by designing for and with team members with autism, uh, we've you know, learned some things along the way and, and really luckily been able to build a really successful car wash organization. We wash over half a million cars a, a year at, at three successful locations in Florida. We employ about 100 people and uh, we've been able to build a, a really strong local brand that we believe can continue to grow because of, not in spite of, our team members with autism. Tom, it's a refreshing perspective. You know, uh, directionally, about a, one in every 44 births results in someone on the spectrum or with autism. 
and that's not you know empirically sound but directionally accurate and you are not a clinical expert on autism or neurodivergent or neurotypical people you are the sibling to a brother like you said that has autism well you do a bit of a level set because you know as we all sophisticate our awareness our sensitivities our empathy and our leadership skills we're not always using the right words would you maybe just uh, bring us all to a levelization if you will on uh, how people with autism are perhaps misconstrued or construed. I heard you once say, when you know a person with autism, you know a person with autism. It's a great quote. Riff on that for a few minutes, kind of level set us and make sure that everybody moves into this conversation feeling a little bit more sophisticated and sensitive to um, what it's like to have autism. So yeah, that, that Dr. Stephen Shore quote, when you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism is, is so true. Uh, and we, I think we learn it every day. And um, as you mentioned, certainly not an expert uh, on autism. We've simply been able to work with people with autism to build what we think are better operational systems. Uh, but what I will say is that, uh, so the data is not awesome, but somewhere around 80% uh, of people with autism are unemployed. And that's due to uh, really the way that we look at autism that's looked at as a disability that requires sympathy instead of a really valuable diversity. And they're really, uh, what's really striking about that number is that only about 16% of people with autism have a significant intellectual disability. So there's a really large gap there. While people with autism tend to bring tremendous skills to the workplace, uh, in general, I think they bring skills to every type of role neurodivergent people, so people who think differently than a neurotypical person. And those are people from Richard Branson, who's dyslexic to Elon Musk, who, who now also identifies on the autism spectrum. And you know, from our experience uh, working with the segment of the autism population that we work with, we find that our employees have really tremendous character skills. They really want to work. They're engaged. They're enthusiastic. They're honest. They're loyal. And they bring some awesome talents to the workplace, uh, really great attention to detail, uh, willingness to follow processes and routine, uh, and, and are exceptionally safe in what can be a sometimes chaotic work environment at Car Wash. Tom, we'll talk about some of the systems in place at the Car Wash in just a moment, but would you kind of reorient us to what are the main differences with people that are on the autism spectrum as an employee, and perhaps those of us who are not? Yeah, so um, I think the difference is, is specifically that we need to produce more structure, build uh, more clarity into our workplace, be more objective with our systems. And while I would say that, you know, quote unquote, those are, those are different, those are the ways that we support our team members uh, with autism, they truly are the same things that everybody else needs to be successful. We, they just, people with autism just need them a lot more. Tom, I believe it was uh, a story in your book, or there's a couple instances where you talk about the benefit of employing colleagues on the spectrum is that things don't tend to fester. That, you know, when there are problems or issues, they tend to come to a head pretty quickly, unlike in most organizations where stuff, you know, people gossip and they tolerate and they ignore and then stuff festers, people quit and they leave. No, in, a, in a, an environment where you have neurodivergent uh, colleagues, Stuff comes to a head pretty quickly and can be solved quite rapidly. 
Talk about the silver lining that comes from that. Yeah, so they bring problems to our attention quickly and we need to solve problems quickly. So by um, you know, whether using observational tactics or, or directly collaborating with our team members with autism, they've pushed us to redesign virtually every system that we have. Uh, one really cool example is that we were, we were having an issue with our nightly cash out procedure. Uh, we were making errors often. There was no stealing or anything going on, but we were making errors about 31% of the time. It wasn't matching what our POS system said. And what we saw was that we were making things essentially just very disorganized through the process. So we designed this, essentially it's a monopoly board for counting cash. It's a color coordinated board to organize everything. And we designed this with our team members with autism who were struggling the most when we were building this. And by making it really structured and bringing their feedback into it and watching them struggle with some of the early iterations of that, that board, we built something really good that now we only have uh, those similar errors about 4% of the time. And we're able to train up team members drastically quicker than we otherwise would have been. And that's because of being able to design around this specific type of user who uh, has the same issues as maybe everybody else, but they are much more pronounced. Your story about rising tide car wash is uh, chronicled in this book. And I think many people would say that's lovely. It's a lovely story, heartwarming. And a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders would say, isn't that great that that's <clears throat> the mission you've chosen to take on? Thank you for doing that. And I'll go back to running my business. We also know that there's a common phrase and adage that proves to be true, no margin no mission. You know, some people open up businesses because they're mission-driven and some don't. Some open businesses because they're profit and revenue-driven. And eventually they tend to kind of come together because no one wants to work for a business that's only profit-driven. People have a greater meaning for their life, especially post-pandemic. What do you think are the replicable lessons that every leader inside an organization that either hasn't been presented with the opportunity to hire someone that perhaps is neurodivergent or not neurotypical or has some other perhaps cognitive or even physical disability, what are the transferable lessons that you've learned at your car wash that every seasoned leader can adopt inside their organization? So we've learned pretty much, we've learned a lot of things. But what's most important, I think, is being able to first hire people objectively, right? Traditional hiring systems tend to be riddled with bias and are a lot of times uh, a likability test. And that doesn't work well for people with autism, uh, really for most underrepresented groups. And when we build objective hiring systems, we're able to bring in much broader talent, driving clarity through every aspect of an operation is another thing that we've we've really built through and through. We believe that a great talent doesn't make a great business. A great business makes great talent. Uh, and we've learned to look at our you know our worst employees, the ones who are struggling the most, as our greatest opportunity to improve our organization. So when they're struggling, before instead of saying okay, well, this person's not good. They're not cutting it. We got to let them go. We've got to marginalize them or reduce their hours. Instead of saying that, we say, okay, where are we failing this team member and what, how can we redesign the system that they're rubbing up against? And by doing those things, we find that we've unlocked a lot of 
things that most organizations are looking for, uh, namely psychological safety, accountability, purpose, and uh, experience that's pretty delightful for both employees and customers. And uh, I, I think more, more specifically around employing people with autism is that you know, we're looking, uh, many organizations right now, especially ones that are recruiting for frontline entry-level roles, really struggling to find talent. Uh, in, during the pandemic, a lot of other car washes had to shut down portions of their, their business because they simply couldn't find good talent. In 2017, when we had unemployment of like less than 4%, businesses were struggling to find talent. We've always had a wait list of people looking for jobs with us. And that's we have these 100 employees within a five-mile radius in South Florida. So it's a very small, densely populated, but very small area. And there is just a, a way more talent than, than we could possibly employ ourselves. I think that says something important about uh, the way that we look at talent and we build talent pipelines in general, when companies are complaining that they can't find good talent, I think it's often misidentified as we have an uh, ineffective way of identifying uh, and, uh, and being able to evaluate talent. Tom, you mentioned in the book, which I found interesting, that one of the unintended consequences of hiring 80% of your staff with people that are on the spectrum with autism is that there's a lot of engagement with their parents because many of these employees work in, or live with their parents. And I've worked here for 27 years and never once has my parent called my boss, although I wish <laughs> they might have advocated for me on a couple of occasions. Talk about, talk about the interesting dynamic that comes from employing 80% of your colleagues that most of them live with their parents and their parents' involvement in that. And how does that perhaps, what's the silver lining in that? Obviously you can know there's a downside to that, but what's the silver lining? Yeah, I mean, that's true. Most of our employees live with their parents, and many of those parents have built up a um, a style where they're they've protected their child for their entire lives. They've had to advocate to the school district. They've had to advocate to insurers to make sure that they got the services that they they needed. Uh, they've had to fend off bullies or protect their kids through what can be really challenging high school years for anyone who's different, but specifically for many people with autism. So then they come to us and they bring that similar mentality to the employment world and uh, the relationship with an employer and an employee is much different than a school district with a child. So it's a really great opportunity for us to be able to coach these parents on helping them understand that now they have to go from this parent protector to this parent coach, right? It's your, your child is gonna have to learn to stand on their own two feet and advocate for themselves. And they are definitely capable of doing that. And this is their opportunity to do so, right? Learning how to take feedback, how to get to work on time, how to fail at work, but continue to persevere and try again. And that can be, you know, can be an interesting dynamic, uh, but it's certainly something that uh, has been really rewarding and I think really helpful for both our employees and their parents because that self-advocacy piece of it is so critical, both for the parent as well as for the employee who hasn't been given those opportunities many times in their lives and, and may be dependent because of the way 
that their life experiences have taken them. And here's their opportunity to shed that and say, I can do it myself. Watch me stand on my own. Watch me show what I'm capable of. And that's a really powerful and inspiring experience for our team members, for our managers, and even for our customers. I think you just described a vast part of the workforce without autism is learning those <laughs> skills, including me early on in my career. Let's talk about building a social enterprise. Again, you know, the vast majority of people that are watching you right now and listening to this podcast are not working for a social enterprise per se, right? They're working for a for-profit organization or a government service, and they'd like to have perhaps a little more bent towards a connection to a social enterprise. What have you learned from a business perspective, from a mission perspective, from a social enterprise point of view around how any business can become a social enterprise? Perhaps not every company is going all in on employing a neurodivergent workforce. That's not going to happen. That's not the case. It's not statistically possible, nor should it be. Uh, what would you say are some lessons you could teach leaders inside companies who are having difficulty attracting um, the mainstream workforce, um, people with, that are not on the spectrum, that are looking for an organization that has a social conscience and is a social enterprise. It's a for-profit company. But what are some things leaders and founders and owners and CEOs can do to make sure their organization attracts non-spectrum talent that want to have a mission-driven um, career? I think we all want to feel like we're invested in and that we can bring our full selves to work where we can be who we are. Uh, it's okay to fail because we're here to learn. And I think when organizations in, invest in their people in that way and are willing to uh, take this deliberately developmental approach to uh, teaching skills, to allowing for failure and experimentation, uh, to helping people grow and really being dedicated to their growth within the organization, and you know, making sure the systems are inclusive so anyone can be successful, I think those things inherently are enough to really build connection between the employee and the employer. And I think oftentimes lead to stories that are really endearing to customers as well. This human potential, this come as you are concept is something that I think we're all striving for. And that, you know, especially as social media makes things uh, harder to it makes it harder to connect uh, with people, and um, I really believe that that ability to build this "we're growing together" mentality within an organization is is critical. Tom, you mentioned in your car, across your three car washes, there are about a hundred employees that are on the spectrum, so to speak. Um, look at the employment workforce; the workforce in large, there are millions, if not tens of millions, of people that have graduated from high school and college and are well-employed, they're on the spectrum. Some perhaps more so than others, more severely, which means all of us work with people in our jobs that are on the spectrum. What advice, again, not being a clinical expert, but being a practitioner expert and a sibling of someone with autism, what advice would you give to each of us that are in major corporations or in, in, in um, private companies, startups, and we're working with someone who's on the spectrum. We may or may not know that. We may suspect that. We may talk about it. They may tell us about it. Would mm. you give us any tips, those of us who are not on the spectrum, which probably most of us are, we just are undiagnosed to some extent, right? A lot of opinions that. What should we know about working with people that are neurodivergent to bring out their best, but also allow us to work better with them and lead them better? Yeah, so I think the, the most important thing 
is the ability to speak clearly and communicate clearly. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we tend to want to speak through stories. We tend to use wanna, metaphors, uh, things like that. Use right? metaphors, exactly. And, and that type of thing is really challenging for, for, for people with autism. Also really challenging for anybody who's not from the same culture as you. You may not understand those metaphors. Right, right. And so, so that clear communication, I think, is the number one most important thing. And then there becomes this really wonderful benefit for both the, the team member who may be neurodivergent, as well as the leader or the manager who's trying to, to learn to work with them, is that really trying to be curious and explore their context, uh, be humble in your approach to leadership with them. And we, we essentially, as an organization, we encapsulate this as what we call permission to care, that our, our leaders are empowered to care about their team members, to recognize what they know and what they don't know about them, to ask questions, starting these developmental conversations, and then to speak really clearly and sometimes you know, challenge, challenge them in certain conversations so that there is that growth. And these things probably sound a lot like what most good leaders do. And, yeah. and that's because in, in my opinion, they are. Uh, I think there's very little, little about being a good leader for someone with autism uh, then they're very little different with that than there is with a uh, typical employee. It's just kind of more pronounced in, in that patience and that directness and that humility is even, is even more important. Uh, Tom, flip that script. No doubt there are uh, a large audience that are listening to this podcast, we hope, and are watching this that perhaps are on the spectrum and do have autism of some sort. What advice would you give them as a coach? Perhaps they've never had the benefit of working with someone or for someone like you that's heavily invested in helping them be successful in their career. No doubt there are many people that are listening to this right now that know they're on the spectrum but have either tried to minimize that or contain it or haven't felt safe talking about it or had a leader or a team of colleagues that supported them and ignited their genius and their talents. What would you tell them about their career about what, what advice just in general would you give them about how to succeed in their career? Maybe it's work, how to communicate with their colleagues or work with their boss or perhaps even sit down with their leader and say, hey, can I share something with you you may or may not be aware of, but I want to talk about this so that I can have a thriving career here and you make and make sure that you feel like I'm a valued member of the team. Give, yeah. give that audience some advice. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome question. And I think it, um, it varies a lot from organization to organization. What I've heard from from other individuals with autism working uh, at different organizations, specifically ones that aren't purposefully built to employ them, is the first step is to really get comfortable with the way the organization looks at inclusivity and, and looks at autism. Get comfortable with your manager. Uh, it seems like uh, immediately disclosing many people aren't comfortable with that and there may be good reason for it. But learning to just build some a little bit of relationship with that manager, get to know them a little, and then I think privately disclose what you need to disclose as far as what is going to help you thrive as an employee. I also think it's really helpful to find uh, another mentor who may be on the spectrum and, and may be either going through similar things or maybe a, a little older than you, may have a little bit more work experience that can guide you through it. Uh, and then there are some wonderful organizations, not just us, that are now taking this up and really trying to uh, deliberately employ people who are neurodivergent 
the disability in organization and their uh, neurodiversity at work roundtable. There's hundreds of organizations that are part of this from Microsoft to SAP to small little companies like us uh, that, um, you know, you look at, look at those organizations, I think you see this is a company that I can, I can already feel comfortable bringing my whole self to work. Uh, so maybe looking for roles at those types of organizations too. Tom, here's a square tough question. The labor market is extraordinarily tight and competition is fierce, unrelenting. And companies are under enormous pressure to grow and perform and have little to no elasticity, most of them, for, for, for air or for missing targets or quarters. Um, yep. Why would someone read your book and change their perspective on who they're hiring and tiring, who they're hiring and, and, and retaining, when they're already up against the odds in terms of their, 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 their quotas, their goals, their competition. A lot of companies are struggling still to even recover from the pandemic. I mean, this is a very aspirational book. It's a lovely book. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to share a story from it. But what's the value proposition for someone at Goldman Sachs or AT&T or Toyota or Disney, whatever it is, that obviously is committed to a diverse you know, culture and providing a certain level of opportunities, you get the point. Why would someone read this book that's not facing pressure to think about this? So first and foremost, that all of the strategies laid out in the book and employing people with autism more specifically is that this is an effective strategy to do better business. Uh, our employees with autism are expected to uh, meet the same standards, if not higher standards, than anybody else in the car wash industry. And we've reaped really significant, just hard business results by doing this. Our, uh, um, our turnover is less or is five times lower than your typical car wash, at least five times lower than your typical car wash. We've never had, I'm going to knock on wood, but we've never had a workers' comp issue with an employee with autism in a decade of operating. I think that would make some car wash operators fall off of their chairs. Uh, and we have uh, a team that is actively engaged every day, wanting to serve our customers, wanting to do better, and really wanting to be there. And, and that's not something that you get, I think, at a lot of retail organizations specifically, uh, a lot of con consumer-facing brick-and-mortar businesses. And our customers feel that, and they come because of that. They come because of the story. They also come because of the service and the way that it makes them feel on a daily basis. So there's there's nothing about this that is um, charitable in that it's that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because it's better business. We had a mission to start for sure because of my brother, but it's become much more than that. It's become a, a really effective way to run these organizations. I could not imagine running car washes with a different labor pool. And, and I think a lot of organizations that are struggling, like you're saying, really struggling to find talent, maybe frustrated with team members that are on their team now that aren't, are just there to collect a paycheck and aren't really engaged in any way with their heart or their mind, with, but just with their feet, that this, by inviting this group of people in and aiming to empower them, you get I think a superior workforce in a lot of contexts, as well as a really tremendous lens to improve your organization through for everybody. That's been the key learning about everything that we've done is that when you design 
for employees with autism, you uncover insights that make work better for everyone. And it's just, it's a, it's a platform that's really accessible to a lot of organizations that is woefully underutilized. Beautifully said. Let's end our discussion today. I want you to pick a story out of the book. It's, it's just, it's, you know, rife with great stories about people's lives that have been improved and changed and built skills. Pick one person and talk about that person and what this opportunity has meant, uh, not just to them and their own trajectory, but perhaps those around them, maybe even the 20% uh, of non-neurodivergent colleagues. Pick one person and tell us a great story. So hard to pick one person. Uh, I'll tell a quick one from this book, but then I really want to tell one that just happened actually a couple of days ago. Um, so Rob P, who's featured in the book, yep. uh, he started with us when he uh, pretty much just graduated high school. He's a really boisterous guy by nature, but can come off um, a little hard for, for people, can uh, communicate in a way that's um, jarring for, for both um, his peers as well as his manager. So there's been a ton of work with him to teach him how to work through those challenges, but he cares so much, always on time, always works his butt off, always willing to go the extra mile. And because of that, he eventually, uh, this year rose to becoming a supervisor with us. And the amount of pride that we felt uh, as a team, both our, both the managers and his peers that he got there, he finally did it because there was a lot of work that went into that and it was tremendous. And this young man, I, I mean, he had a ear to ear smile on for at least a week after because he finally achieved this wonderful thing that he'd been trying for years to get to. And you know, we have a really loyal employee because of that. Also, his dad has been you know, rightfully stressed about what is Rob going to be able to do? And now he feels pretty comfortable that he's got a career with us and a trajectory with us that's continuing to evolve. And, and I think some of those fears are eased. We had a similar story, actually. I, the only reason I want to tell it is because uh, imagine that I have this, this team member who also just got promoted to supervisor and he's six foot five, six foot six, um, Young man with autism, absolute heart of gold, the nicest kid you will ever meet. He's been working for almost six years to get to that same role of supervisor. And we, we did, made, did a little ceremony at our Christmas party to get it, to, to tell him that he had made supervisor. And this young man lifted me up over his shoulder. I had to be three feet in the air. Uh, and when I got it, he was so excited. He posts all over social media that this is one of the happiest days of his life for this is this is for an hourly supervisor position in our organization, that this is one of the happiest days of this young man's life. And that's because and just imagine how that translates every day to our customer service, that people care so much. They have that much pride in their work and that it's really just. You know, it's, it's something I invite everybody to experience. You know, if you're in South Florida, come by, check out one of our stores, and you'll see it for yourself. Tom, other than the, uh, the normal pressures that come with being an entrepreneur, you must sleep well at night because you're, you know, transforming people's lives. You're providing an important service we all participate in. And I think your book is a lovely reminder 
about what life's about, uh, not just margin, but mission as well. Tom Deary, you're the author of the book, The Power of Potential, How a Non-Traditional Workforce Can Lead You to Run Your Business Better. May you be empowered to expand and continue to influence lives around the world. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Scott, it was a pleasure being on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Delighted to shine our spotlight on you, Tom. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. Leadership.